Hey there, beautiful souls. I'm Colin Lockaw. And I'm Meredith Lockaw. And welcome to Spiritual Sisters with Sass, the podcast where two sisters with a passion for spirituality and a touch of sass come together to explore the exciting world of self-improvement. That's right, Colin. We embarked on this incredible journey together, diving into different self-improvement techniques, yoga practices, and a whole array of life experiences. Yeah, and through it all, we've managed to create lives that are abundant, happy, and constantly evolving. It's been a wild ride, hasn't it, Mary? You bet, sis. We've got two very different perspectives on life, but that's what makes this podcast so special. I'm all about diving in headfirst into life's adventures and embracing every challenge with a bit of sass. Well, Colleen here, she's got her own unique approach. Yep, that's me. And I'm all about the yoga, mindfulness, and finding my zen. And together we make the perfect balance. So whether you're looking for some wisdom, a few laughs, or just some heartfelt stories, you're in the right place. We're here to share our personal experiences and insights with you, all while exploring the wild and diverse world of self-improvement. Grab your headphones and get ready for a fantastic journey with us. Spiritual Sisters with Sass is here to uplift, inspire, and keep it real. Thanks for tuning in, lovely listeners. Let's dive in. Spirit and Sass, here we go. Um, okay, so today's podcast, we're going to dig into our own trauma and how our perspectives on the same trauma are so very different. And I'm going to start with my experience. And now Lynn and I went to a, um, a retreat together and I remember her telling a story and she was telling um, the coach, like, this is what it was like in my house. And I literally said to them and they tell you like hold space for these people to tell their stories. And I was like, I have to interrupt because I don't even know where the hell this person lived. And the woman was like, oh, this is interesting. Let's get into this. And what it was is she, Lynn was telling the story and I was just like, that's not the same house I lived in. And that was the first time I think that I realized that we were on the same path and we were best friends, but at the same time, like we were so far apart in the things that we had experienced. And so for me, um, my mom was quite abusive physically, emotionally, verbally. She was incredibly abusive to everyone in the family, except Travis. And um, my, uh, no, really except Travis, <laughs> which is our little brother. Um, she, I don't remember much of my childhood. And that's one of the things that I've said multiple times. I don't really remember much. Like I remember say 12 forward, which a lot of you guys are going to say the same thing. Well, I don't remember many, much of my trauma. However, I do remember when I was in high school and this person did this to me. And what, when you hit the end of, of elementary school and the start of high school, you're more able to articulate the things that you experienced. And yes, you remember them, but what you don't realize is the reason they bothered you is because they actually happened in that first traumatic period of your life, say one to six years. And so when we did this group coaching thing, I really had a new appreciation for my sister um, because basically in my house, I would go to my mom for something and it took nothing to set her off. And then all of a sudden she would get ready, like start yelling. You weren't allowed to have an opinion or say anything. And the next thing that came was a violent, swift punch, slap, push down the stairs, whatever it was. Now, when I say down the stairs, there was only four stairs. 
that does not minimize the fact that she pushed us down the stairs and down the one side of the stairs was a cat litter box in the laundry, uh, the laundry room. And usually if I pissed her off, I would have this, her freaking out. And it was like Lynn knew it was coming and she would come out from her room and come around to the side. And then I'd maybe get one hit or a shove, but usually it was because of the yelling that Lynn would get involved. And then suddenly she's the one being abused as I'm being shoved down the stairs into the cat litter box. So I didn't really get physically abused often by my mom because my sister would always step in and take that abuse. I'm not sure if I should get into it now, but I think I should probably wait for what happened in, in what happened with Lynn and I. I think I'll let Lynn get in here first and explain to you guys her version of that same thing because hers is much more, much more violent. And for me, when I would be shoved down the stairs or whatever, I then knew that Lynn was going to get abused and I needed to be there to get, try and get her off of her because there wasn't a stop to it. And there's many stories that I will tell you guys about old school phones. So we used to have the string corded phones. And um, of course, back then, teenagers, you had to have your own phone line because we talked on the phone for hours and hours and hours at the time. Um, there was no texting and stuff like this. That's how old we are. Um, and I will tell you one story very quickly, and then I'm going to let Lynn get into it on her version of this. Um, but one story that I'll never, ever forget is I don't even remember how come we got into this fight, but I started a fight with my mom for whatever reason. I, Lynn came up running up the stairs. I was standing there. I got pushed down the other side of the stairs, which I ended up in the cat litter box up against the um, washing machine. And I was super upset because I hadn't cleaned the cat litter box <laughs> and it was full of shit and piss. And it was disgusting. And I kind of got myself up, went into my own bedroom. And then I heard the violence getting bad at the top of the stairs. Lynn ended up running away and going into her own room. And I ended up chasing them into her own room. When I got in there, uh, my mom had my sister pinned on the ground with and was grabbing basically anything she could grab. And she grabbed the headset of the phone and just started smashing my sister. And I'm not joking, this is the motion. She was smashing her in the head with this phone. And so I grabbed the phone out of her hand and out of the wall and I ripped it out of the wall and I threw it away. That didn't stop her. She just found the next thing, which back in the day was a white kid's shoe. And she just picked that up and continued the abuse of beating her in the head with this thing. And I remember yelling and screaming at the top of my lungs because this was probably one of the more violent ones where she was so out of control that there was no stopping her at this point. But I would grab anything she got her hands on and rip it out of her hand before at the very end of it, she turned around and came after me, which then of course, Lynn stepped in and came back after her and got on her back. And it ended up this like thing for quite a while before somehow, I don't even remember how it ended. So I'm going to let Lynn tell you guys her version of, of our, her perception of how we ended up in these positions. Oh, I can't hear you. I think you might be muted. We can't hear you. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Thank you. There we go. Okay. Um, I remember the, this specific situation you're speaking about as well. I remember it being a little bit different but like basically it that's that and what came of this is like when we did that coaching retreat together you know it started with there was a girl there and I um I was up like oh 
everything she did, it kind of just came at me. And here we were coaching and there was an opportunity to like, just speak to the thing. So I did, I said, whenever this person speaks, it really just like pisses me off. And, you know, it reminds me of my mom, she's so loud. And then I remember later my sister talking to me and being like, you know, it's so funny because I like loved her because of how loud she was. So it was interesting in that moment to see what different triggers were in each of us because that was something that I really disliked was my mom would speak so loud that like everybody could hear. And so when someone does that, I really get kind of like, Ugh. so we did this retreat and this is where I think we really came to light the pattern that you and I had, yeah. because it was the next day after this reveal that Meredith shared with the group as well that like that those behaviors didn't upset her at all in fact she was rather attracted to them and abusive behaviors to the lady being loud and boisterous I saw myself in her so it's very interesting as well because of that because I'm so much more loud I say so many more things we'll get into why but keep going it was the loud fun about her that I liked that Lynn didn't yeah And, you know, I saw the underpinnings of behaviors, you know, we were supposed to be quiet. So she would sit off and not listen to the rules and like speak to the, the person that was cooking her meals. And she, you know, we were supposed to be quiet and watch a a movie, but like she laughed out loud and it was like not listening to the rules, which is also quite interesting. So that next day we're talking about it and Meredith's um, memories are like the same and different than mine. And like where she goes is to me being physically abusive to her. And so as we're talking, you know, it's kind of coming through like, but just wait, like, yeah, I was abusive to you, but like you always started it because in my head, I argued, I argued hard and said, no, I didn't. I didn't bring these on. And I don't even say like always and never as a general. And that's where I was at the time of like, you always started it. And I I remember, because I I just remember so many times, like grabbing onto my arm with these fucking big ass fingernails and digging them them in. And I would say like, stop, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And she just like, look at me and like, ugh. And so make her bleed with my claws. Yes. So then eventually I would get angry and I'd beat the crap out of her. And so we recognize that this was probably a pattern we had formed in the fact that like I protected my sister from ever being abused, yet she would still receive that abuse because my mom would take it out on me. And then my sister would come and start shit with me and I would take it out on her. So it was interesting that even though I felt like I was saving her, essentially I was doing to her, like the beating that I took, I would eventually give it to her anyways. And so then we saw like a very codependent behavior, not just between the two of us, but also like the behaviors that I had with my mother as well. Because, you know, if you figured out, if you just cried, she'd leave you alone. So Meredith figured, <laughs> figured that out much quicker. Whereas I would take my time like, no, you can't make me cry. And that was like a, just a challenge, I think, for yeah. my mom. Yeah. Yeah. And so we had 
many, many a physical altercation between the two of us. That being said, we did work through some of that shit because there was when we did that retreat, a lot of that shit surfaced for me in the way that, and it was actually on our last day that I was, it was the day I actually shared because the rest of the time I was fine. And then all of a sudden I was like, I'm just so tired of you acting like my mom. And then all of a sudden it was like, it all kind of surfaced. And we, I will tell you that after being coached around it, I do see where, yeah, the only way I felt like it was okay, because in so many ways, the way we received love was with fists. Um, because there was no, I love you in our family. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that will say, yeah, that's pretty standard in our family as well. Cause that may have been the practice back then. But for us, as soon as like, I wanted something from my sister who actually ended up, what we figured out in this was she played more of a role in being my mom than she did my sister. And now I want to also tell you where the benefits and no, I'm not saying go abuse your sister, but where the, the thing that I got out of having my sister do these things for me is that I always knew I was protected. Even if she was the one who beat me up, she was the one who beat me up. Nobody else was allowed to put their hands on me. And I ended up being the loud one. I ended up being the one who would stand up and be like, oh, you're going to mess with me. Watch, because I'm tough. And the only reason I'm tough is because you can't touch me because my sister will kick your ass. And I ended up being allowed to say what I wanted. I ended up being allowed to feel what I wanted. I ended up being the person who, as it, when we were on, actually, we were on another trip to um, Amsterdam and some lady, now this is really interesting because this is how we become aware of our patterns. And some lady cut in line in front of us. Um, she was an Asian lady. And I understand that in various places in Asia, it's very normal for them to like crowd your space and touch you and do these things. And I don't like people in my bubble. And so this lady like cut in front of the line and I looked at her and went, I don't think so. No, you can go to the back of the line with everyone else. And she was like, huh? And looked at me funny. And I was like, no, move. You can't just cut in the line. And Lynn kind of giggled beside me and then went, Everybody always knows how Meredy feels. And I was almost insulted by it. And see, it's a pivotal moment for me though. And that's why I remember this. She wasn't being insulting. She was saying in her own way, I wish I could be that way too, because I didn't even notice. She doesn't say what she feels. She doesn't tell people, you know, you know what? I'd actually prefer to do this. I will be like, okay, enough is enough. I'll be the first person to get out of a cold bath and be like, I give y'all permission to get out of the cold bath. I'll be the first person to speak up and say, hey, I have an opinion on this. And she will be the last person to say something. She will go with whatever everyone else is doing because it's easier or was. And for me, I could do this because it was easy. Because even if I pissed someone off saying the things that I needed to say, I knew that that one person had my back. No matter what, I knew Lynn would have my back, whether she was there or not. All I needed to do was go home and tell my sister, this is what happened. And in that moment that she said to me, everyone knows what Meredith's feeling. I was like, you know what? Yeah. And thank you for that. Because I am glad that I can tell you how I feel. I am not aggressive per se. I call myself assertive. I know what I want. I know what I don't want. And I will very clearly voice what I do and don't want. And I'm super grateful that I have that ability and that she's the one who really helped me do that. Because if I had had the same trauma that of the physical abuse that she had received, because even in the physical abuse I received from her, I still could say what I wanted. 
I wasn't being beat up because I told her how I felt. I was being beat up because I wouldn't stop either because yes, I have these giant claws that I still have. They are incredibly strong and I would make her bleed. I don't know why, but it was almost that same competition she had with my mom of you can't make me cry. It wasn't that she couldn't make me cry. It was that, yeah, well, now I'm going to stand up to you because I can't stand up to her. So Lynn, what's, you go ahead and give us some. Well, what this brings up for me is like recognizing the codependent behaviors that we created throughout life without even being aware, you know, like I've spent a lot of time in this last couple of weeks looking at codependency and what that really means, because I've always identified as being a codependent person. But I can tell you that I really didn't understand what that meant until just a couple of weeks ago. And I found a definition that that spoke to the fact that like codependent people are usually people that have suffered some type of trauma. And I mean, let's face it, like who hasn't suffered trauma? Even the trauma of non-trauma is a thing, right? Yes. So there's that. And the behavior is that basically one won't stand up or speak up for oneself because they're busy um, basically perpetuating their partner's behaviors. So um, I, I just had a client that I was talking to today in which, you know, she had gotten loud with her partner one time and he said, don't ever do that again. And so for the rest of their relationship, she hasn't raised her voice, which means she can't say, can't say no, which allows him to continue to behave a certain way and she won't stop it. That's codependency right there. And so there was a situation that we had because it's just been us going through this journey of coaching together has been incredibly helpful and bonding and deepened our relationship because there was the time that we were in Nimpo. So for a few years, we did family yearly vacations at my dad's and, and reunion. yeah, we would get together and, um, and the whole family would get together and, you know, some people know what that's like. Sometimes that's awesome. And sometimes that's a lot of drama and we're definitely taught drama. And so there was a time when my daughter had approached me that I wasn't standing up for her, that she felt that there were certain situations in her life where I was not being the mom that she was looking for. And she said, this was when this was with Meredy, and then this was with her stepmom. And she said, you know, just because you were like actually punched doesn't mean that what's happening to me is okay because her stepmom was physically pushing her. She'd gotten into some altercations with Meredy and she said, like, stand up for me, mom. Physical altercations. Not physical. We argued a lot and we did kind of touch base a little bit on this in the previous podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And so I heard her in that moment that, yeah, I was kind of telling her, like, get over it. You got pushed. Big deal. Like, that's not anything. Um, and she said from someone who'd never been abused, you know, she's like, you raised me. I, I've never been touched. And now all of a sudden I got pushed. I got hit in the head with a Subway sandwich. Like, 
these are all things that you can pass off as chill, but they're not chill. They're physical abuse. And I was like, you're right. And she said, like, stand up for me. These are some places where I'm looking for my mom to be my mom. And so it was one time at um, Meredith and Sari just didn't get along. In my opinion, they were too alike. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. <laughs> so they would be like at each other. Um, and so, and, and people had opinions on the way that I parented a lot of my family parents as well. Fair. A lot of my, you know, the way you parent period, a lot of my family figured I was way too lenient. A lot of my husband's family thought I was way too hard. So I always felt like I was perfect (laughs) because (laughs) nobody agreed with how I did it. So I thought, okay, this is perfect. Um, And so I would kind of like let a natural consequences parents is is what I would say that I was. And um, anyway, so Meredy and and Sari get into a bit of an altercation, whatever it is. And I remember Sari had left the situation and went downstairs pouting, whatever, who cares? She came back up and Meredy started. Meredy said, where have you been? And I remember you're like, have you been pouting or something? And I was like, stop it. And I remember your face was just like, and you're like, what? And I said, stop talking to her like that. I've taken care of my child. You don't need to. This is okay. And I think, and now this is my experience. And I don't even, I feel like we've talked about it, but who knows? This could bring stuff up. My experience was like, I don't think I'd ever said no to you before about certainly that way, anything. And, and so in that moment, oh man, like I had not seen you kind of lose your shit like that in a long time. I was pissed. I remember being pissed about it, like super pissed, especially because in my opinion at the time, she was such an asshole and she needed discipline and she was not receiving that and what the way we grew up was you respect your elders period and this kid was not respecting her elders and that was my biggest problem is I'm older than you I have more experience than you and I do sort of understand that that perception I don't necessarily think it's right I do think we do need to respect people that are older than us and have that experience but also if someone's treating you badly then walk away and she did um but I was absolutely furious yeah, she was speaking up for her daughter being an asshole and her daughter was being an asshole. Um, but she was sticking up for her and I was being an asshole. I definitely was not coming at it with love. I was coming at it with this kid needs to learn a fucking lesson. Yeah. And this is where she's going. And this is what I'm going to give her that lesson. Again, not my place to give her the lesson. She wasn't my child. Her and I have worked through a lot of our shit as well. And we both acknowledge that we're very alike. And that's probably why we did exactly the things we did. And now as an adult, I can tell you that seeing those behaviors in her were the things I hated about myself. And I didn't think she should act that way. And so I would lash out because don't act like that. And the crazy part is, is when I look at it now, I was acting the exact same way as she was acting towards (laughs) me back to her to stop her from acting that way. I mean, it's not crazy. So just be a little bit kind to yourself because that's that's the story is like, you're crazy. You've been gaslit enough that you're crazy. So you can call being unconscious crazy or you can just call it being unconscious and you're not in that space anymore. Yeah. And that I remember Paul saying that you would come over and, and him and Travis didn't understand even what you were saying. You were so upset. You're just kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
And I remember I had, we were actually coaching with the same person. And when I first started coaching with her, she said to me, when will you stop? And I was like, never, I will never stop, which is something I hear from a lot of people on a regular basis, which is interesting. So I like sat with, I will never stop. That's the kind of person I am. I like, literally, you can't make me cry. Fuck you. And, uh, you know, we, we made dinner and, and then I said, let's talk. And I decided I wanted to leave. I didn't want to be there anymore. I was pretty upset and I wasn't just going to stay there and have this like, which was a thing that happened on, on like mom's side of things is like, let's just brush it all under the rug and pretend like everything's okay. I'll just fucking ignore you. We're and then leave this alone for yeah. now. And when we come back to it, we're going to pretend it never happened. Yes. And that's just not how I think either of us roll. So I remember trying to talk to you in the, the only thing that you kept saying, you were so upset and over, you're supposed to have my back. You're my sister. You're supposed to have my back. And I was like, it's my daughter. And you're like, I don't care. You're supposed to have my back. Like it was such a clear trauma response, but I wasn't aware of like trauma responses and such at the time. Yeah. And I did my thing. I avoided, I needed to leave. Let's get out. So I pack up my family and we leave. And I'd been nursing and Emerge for 17 years. By then I'd seen crazy ass shit. And my family, I'd come home and talk about, oh, dead babies, all oh, this, all oh, that. It was amazing. It was so, what an experience. And um, I should probably cut out that word, trigger word. Um, but that's what happened to me. I've experienced a lot. And instead of emotionally like addressing it, I bypassed it and I made it like cool or whatever it was. I don't feel that way anymore. Anyways, I started to cry and my family had no idea what to do because I don't think they'd ever seen me cry like that before. And I remember thinking this is where I'll stop. I don't want to do this anymore. This was incredible pain because it felt like I had behaved that way by saving Meredy because it gave me something to live for. Because if I looked at my stories, I am unlovable. I don't belong. And I'm a fat piece of shit. And so the only thing that really gave me purpose was protecting you. And now all of a sudden I said, no, and we're not talking and the whole world's going to end because I'm in fight or flight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were supposed to go to Tony Robbins together. We were going in Darren's motor home. Like we had all these plans. It was all cut, all of it. Yep. And I just remember thinking like, this is it. I, I don't want to do any of this work anymore. It's way too painful. And now what I see was happening was like, I was touching on that piece of me that felt so unlovable and the people pleasing, the codependency. Let's just pretend it never happened. Let's just go back to the way it was. Let's just like, I'll just keep doing this. And that's it. Like when we were talking, so I mean, fuck it. Like skeletons in the closet are shit. I've like fucked a boyfriend of Meredith's one time. I like went against her in some Lost other virginity to the boyfriend, yeah. which was which was crazy. We, and again, we worked through these a lot of the, most of these things. I'm sure as we go through this podcast, there's going to be things that we're like, oh shit. There's something. But there's a lot of these things that we have worked through, and I will also say that when it came to this period of us not talking to each other, it felt like it was also the end of my world. Because the one person who's always, no fucking matter what happened, had my back, didn't have my back. She was 
with my mom. She was on their side. And that is one thing that my mom will even to this day tell you what a horrible fucking human being I am. Tell you how, all the horrible things about me. And she does that quite loudly. And she's done it in front of my sister, in front of my brother and his kids. Um, she did it in front of my own kids. So there was a lot of of that that I was feeling, oh my God, she's turned her against me. And so I just was like, well, fuck you then. We're not talking. I'm done with you. And I mean, those patterns came up too of like me recognizing that if I didn't agree with something, well, you just did whatever the fuck you wanted to anyways, you didn't listen to me, then I would come at you in a more passive aggressive way. Like this dude is a piece of shit. Let me show you. Yeah. This thing I don't like that you're doing, I'm going to fucking stop you. Oh, this guy, he's a piece of shit. I'm going to do this thing because it was all passive aggressive, never stepping up to be like, listen, don't. (laughs) So the patterns have been like unwinding for a very long time. And it is amazing to look back because Meredith will tell stories quite regularly. I'll be like, I don't like, I don't even like, did we even see the house the same? Like, (laughs) did you have the same mom? Did you have the same dad? Like we have some similar stories and we also have uh, some very different stories of the way that, yeah. Yeah. Which is really amazing when you come to the nervous system, because when we look at the nervous system, we have something in there called the amygdala. And the amygdala is basically your lens that you you look at situations through. And the nervous system is an incredibly complex, like most incredible human software there is out there. And so when the amygdala is activated, when there is fight or flight, it's react, it reacts in a trauma response. And what it does is it, it does something called fast tracking. Now, fast tracking, we can know, like, if I touch something hot, I'll pull my finger away before I even feel the burn, right? That's a fast track sense. So the amygdala will do this. So let's just say, you know, you're walking down the street, you hear dogs bark, and then you get attacked, okay? Six months later, you're walking down the street, you hear a dog bark, you immediately go into fight or flight because the nervous system is ready to protect you for when you get attacked. The fast track that's formed from the amygdala bypasses the frontal lobe, which is logical thinking. So these, these patterns being, you know, almost like in turned into paved highways that's where we go on a regular basis I think the work really that I recognize now is is recognizing when you're in that pattern that the lens because your brain is not holding on to logical thought anymore so for you to recognize I'm in fight or flight and that I'm no longer in logical thinking and I need to get to logical thinking is logical thinking and the blood has left that part of the brain to go save your ass To form a new pathway now. And that's what I talk about is like the patterns and the patterns, how they can be applied in so many different situations, the situations being different, but the narration, basically it's like the same, the story's the same. It's just the narration is different. And so as it applies to this, the amygdala is still firing like, oh shit, we're going to die. Save yourself. 
that's it just fight 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 flight or freeze and I will tell you that I am the queen of freeze I freeze everybody out I cut you off I'm done or I'm ready to fight I am not going to run from you I'm going to fight 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 to make sure that I win that is my go-to whereas I feel like you're a runner you're a flight get the hell get me the hell out of here (laughs) like avoid I mean what do I do what am I doing as my main um exercise <laughs> she's <I'm> marathon training <laughs> <laughs> yeah super interesting also while we're on that part there's some um touch techniques that if you feel like you're heading into fight or flight if you're triggered by something if you take all of the four fingers that you have and put them on your forehead you'll notice that Even for example, when someone's stressed out, you'll see them kind of grab their forehead with their whole hand. If you do that with the tips of your fingers, you can actually kind of force the blood to stay in that frontal lobe, allowing you to be more logical. So there are physical things you can do to help with this, which is also why you automatically will grab your forehead and kind of be like, oh my God, what is happening right now? It helps hold the blood and the energy in the frontal lobe so that you can be a little more logical. And that that's been coming up so much in like relationship, you know, when there's a situation in which we're going to have an uncomfortable conversation, my old school, like save myself, protect myself, um, shut down, wants to kick in, run, wants to kick in like this Don't isn't working. what I actually feel. I'm just yep. going to shut up and go with what works because then I avoid conflict. And that's the one thing too. I don't avoid conflict. I don't enjoy it anymore. I do not enjoy it anymore. And it definitely does like a physical thing to me where I get like, oh, oh God, here it comes. But when we were kids, we were addicted to drama because that's what we were taught. We were addicted to the drama. We were addicted to the the noise of it, essentially. Um, And when I started to move out of that, learning that, the drama was only bringing more drama because my my approach to this came from the secret and the law of attraction. And in my mind, it literally, they said, once you get to 50% positive thoughts, it'll be great. Like basically it snowballs. And it's true. It took me a year to get to 50% positive because every time something negative would come in, I'd replace it with something positive. And after about a year, I started to be a more positive person for sure. But also I was shoving down my dark side. I pretended that stuff didn't exist. and doing this work has really shown me that you have to have dark to have light. You have to have, for me, if I didn't have the trauma that I had, if I didn't have the whole experience of becoming who I am, I wouldn't be who I am. And that's not thanks to my mom, though. I will say I have found a way to be grateful for growing up the way I did. I may not have fully forgiven her, especially because it's an ongoing thing still to this day. Um, But I find that now, though I'm grateful for having the experience that I've had, I'm more grateful that I had that experience because of who it's made me. And that's not thanks to my mom. That's not thanks to anyone except seeing my own patterns and choosing to change them. See, and that like brings up just a little like call out on your words as you said that those situations made you. And that's giving all your power to outside experience. Like, okay, so at some point, yes, those situations did make you and you woke up to it. 
yes. and you started to choose different and now you are who you are because of you yes and nobody else because you can stay in a place like the both of us could very easily stay in a place and create this so that we can talk about how hard done by we were oh big or, time we could take the victim mindset or there's the opportunity to like start to use it for growth and which is what we both have chosen and sometimes I feel like I it's hard to to like it's to me it's hard to find a place because I find a lot of time it's like there's these two sides of things. It's, it's like when I hear victim mindset, like I get it because I've been in one a lot. And I sometimes go, that's my go-to for sure. Like I'm a victim and I'm going to run. And and therefore I don't want it to like ever make it so that someone thinks that all that they went through doesn't count or doesn't, yes. you know, isn't worthy of something. And there's also an opportunity and and where I found it was, recognizing the soul's plan the idea that before I came here and and this is where we get into the spiritual aspect of things is like I chose my mom I chose my dad I chose you I chose my brother I chose the sister that we didn't know about for a long time and still don't know very well you know I chose my kids and they chose me like that we then came into this world with free will and yet a destined path to come down to get us closer to and I think ultimately loving oneself agreed and of course I feel like that's also why this is such a challenging this is the most challenging part of this life is loving yourself is because I think that's the overall long-term purpose of this and so while Lynn says that like basically she chose this the way that I've chosen to to see this is that essentially when we were all part of like that bigger higher soul that we're all part of when we leave that we're just a drop in the water like an ocean we're just a little drop out of that and when we're done having our purpose we come back to that ocean I also believe when we were part of that you were given say five different movies you watched and those are the lives you could have chosen from and I saw this one and said I want to do this one. Now, when I came to that piece, suddenly I was like, okay, I have to take responsibility and having personal responsibility in this life is sometimes hard. And I know that some people that may be listening are like, yeah, well, I didn't choose to get molested. Mm -hmm. I didn't choose for this to happen to me, but in a lot of ways you did because you chose that you wanted to grow in those ways. Or maybe you chose that you were coming to this, like for me, the way I I have started to view the way my mother is. And now again, this is just my opinion and my narrative around this. I believe that she came here to fuck up people's lives. I don't see that she came here to be a better person or to, like maybe she did. And that can be someone's opinion. But mine is that assholes come here to be assholes because if we were all great there would be no assholes and we'd have nothing to grow from and then for me to say also that my mom did this to me we're and we'll get into our dad we're not blaming this all on our mother our our dad was in there as well but when we get into that let's go and look at the relationship the conversation we had with the family emergency podcast that we have about my daughter I have created the trauma in my kid. I have taught her how to treat me by trying to reverse the trauma that I received 
make her life so much easier. I, in fact, created a totally different trauma in her. All of our parents have done that, whether you love them or not, whether they're the, they were the most amazing parent or not. Tony Robbins had um, a point at one point where he said that this, this one woman, her dad was such a perfect man. She cannot find a man like her dad anymore. And that's her trauma because now no man will ever measure up to what he was like. So even if your parents were perfect, that created its own kind of trauma because your parents were so perfect that now nothing in your life is perfect. So for me, this piece of owning my shit and taking responsibility in, in the, the, the life that I've chose, the trauma that I chose because I saw these all play out and every single one of us have trauma. Every single one of us have healing that we can do. Sometimes some of us were not meant to heal. Some of us were supposed to go through life exactly the way you're going through life. Some of us were meant to become more and better or, and even when I say that, I'm not trying to, <laughs> like, say, I guess the way I said it, it's not the way yeah. I meant it. I should not have said that. Um, I chose to, to work on who I am because I didn't like who I had become. There you go. That is a much better way to say it. So the, the, what I meant was not quite that, but there are people that you can listen to this and be like, yeah, well, none of that's for me. And I understand that because not everybody was supposed to do work on themselves. That's not your purpose here. Whereas some people's purpose is, and I feel like my purpose is to work on myself and then share with that, share that experience with other people. That's, I want to touch on the piece of like the, in the beginning, cause I can, I, I brought this up enough in group to know that saying like, let's just talk about the choosing of the trauma, the choosing of the families, right? Like you, you said that, no, you didn't choose to be molested, but you kind of did. This, this is an idea in spirituality and spirituality has so many roots. And so let's just say you don't buy into that. And that's cool too, right? It's not like we're saying the idea is like, we come here to learn lessons and your childhood sets you up for the rest of your life. You know, I, I can talk about the picture of you and it's, I'll put a link for it. It's really great at explaining about like how, like between nine and 12, we kind of seal off everything we've been taught. So regardless of what type of abuse it's been that one has either, and maybe not even there's any abuse that you can pick out, which also means it's okay. Like you are allowed to have your experience and your trauma based on whatever it is that's gone through. If you don't buy into that, that you chose all of this, that you were born and you were the victim to the situation that happened, that also is like understandable. You don't have to think there's a soul's plan. The reality is that this is what's happened, right? Trauma isn't what happened to you. Trauma is what you do with what happened to you. And then the work, the trauma work is to start to release that, which has been stored in your body, because that's what keeps coming up. So regardless of what happened, you know, we've been through a lot. Like, like we said, we haven't even talked about our dad yet, which I think <laughs> yeah. is going to be our, our next um, conversation and, and, and not even to a place of like shit talking our parents, because we're not even, I mean, we're getting into a bit of stories, but like. It's more about the realizations that we've had yes. from our parents. You know, we have families. They have as much access to this shit as anybody else. 
And so, (laughs) you know, I do have concern about like, oh my God, Brookie's going to hear this. Oh my God, my mom's going to hear this. Oh my God, my dad's going to hear this. Oh my God, they're going to be hurt, which is, is what it is. Here's the conversation that we can have, or we can continue the, like the abusive patterns that we've had. Yeah. So the piece is like nothing, nothing is ever downplayed regardless, like you chose this or something you can buy into that or not. I think that's a way that we've been able to forgive or at least I've been able to forgive to move forward with relationships of like, okay, I am who I am because of where I am and what I've been through. And I've chosen to like wake up to what I want and then I can keep blaming myself being unhappy on my childhood. Or I can start to recognize I had a childhood and now I get to do what I want. <laughs> and yeah. I think that's like the important part, regardless of what did happen. You know, for it's me, for me when we're talking about that, like where you chose this, I think the biggest piece for me of that is that I can then take responsibility. I'm yeah. no longer the victim. And when I'm the victim, I have zero power in any of the things that are happening then I feel like all these things are happening to me and why me and for me. Whereas if I'm not the victim, if, if I can take responsibility and see, okay, well, I chose this and and then start questioning why I chose this. Now I can see that there's lessons in it for me and I can become a better version of myself. So for me, that's where this came from. And I did listen to um, a podcast with Oprah that I encourage you guys to go listen to. It had this lady who had been talking about being molested and how she needed to take responsibility for that. And at first I was absolutely repulsed by her. And I was like, how can you say this? But what it came down to for her, and again, this is not my, that that podcast, I encourage you to go listen to. Um, For her, she said, taking responsibility for the fact that I didn't tell someone. And now that's going to be, I think, probably, I think today's podcast is probably going to be the mom podcast and next week's podcast is going to be the dad podcast. Um, And we're going to have a friend, one of my best friends on, and we're going to talk about some of her deepest traumas and that's going to get deep. And there is some vulnerability that's going to be in there from all of us in this and how we can take responsibility, which then allows us to move forward because if you're always the victim you can't move forward from that because it's always happening to you and you're always the person it's happening to and when it's happening to us instead of for us I feel like I just had zero power to come out of that because there's nothing I can do when it's happening to me yeah it's a a touchy subject it's like there's these pendulum swings to like the you know the this is how I've looked at it now we've got like we've got Tony Robbins which I mean we've spent a lot of time money and energy with Tony yeah, Robbins yeah. right and then we've got like the opposite side of things which is I I don't even know what to say it is it's like this very soft fluffy I could add some some descriptors that show my judgment around this other like soft fluffy side which I think is important for a lot of people. And then I think there's right in the middle, right? There's this like recognizing that we are responsible for where we are right now. That's what we've got, you know, regardless of what's happened here, we are. And now what are you going to do moving forward? 
And so I kind of think that I like take the middle road to, uh, we also can't be so freaking harsh that it's just like, it happened to you, not for you or for you, not to you. Now like move on and fucking conquer the world. And that's a little bit like, <laughs> wait, hold on though. Because then I see these, in AA, we call it a dry drunk. It's someone that's quit drinking, but they're still fucking drinking eight cups of coffee with like four spoonfuls of sugar in it. They're still yeah. eating everything, you know, in their face. They're having sex with a bunch of people. AA is now where they're like meeting and dating people. So, whoa, wait, you're still being a fucking addict, but you're not drinking. So good for you. Yes. <laughs> and, this, yeah. and for me, that part, especially being an addictions coach, I have a lot of people who will come in to have their treatments and they'll be like, okay, so I'm going to just stop whatever heroin I'm just going to stop cocaine I'm just going to stop drinking and I'm like okay but we're treating you for all of your addiction so we're going to treat you for your smoking for that for your drama are you willing to do the work to move through all of these things because to me even if you're not actively using one mm -hmm. you're still actively being an addict and that is the big thing because it gets really really hard when you stop being an addict because now you're changing a lot of behaviors instead of one your whole life you're changing your lifestyle yeah which is why i think like aa yoga permaculture they all call for a design for living a way to live because you have a design how's that working for you <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. well guess what if and you go find out permaculture that's a way that you can live if you go practice yoga not just go to a yoga studio and do some asana and be really fucking awesome and look great and be thin like there's more to yoga than just that piece. And then also with AA, it's a design for living. Here's a way we're going to look at all the things so that you can look at the root of why you drink in the first place. Yeah. And the root of why you have all your behaviors. Yeah. Your drinking is just one of the things that you're using to get rid of this feeling. And with many of the addicts we deal with, okay, well, I'm not drinking. And then something stressful happens and they start shoving their face. And that's another way to get the endorphin release yeah. that you're looking for that helps you avoid the actual feelings that you're having. And I think that we are such perfect examples, hi, over here, of masking the actual feelings that we're having or just shoving them way, way down and being like, no, that doesn't exist for me anymore. And that's not how we move through it. Actually sitting in the discomfort, like literally because of our last podcast, I have had to sit in so much discomfort and make choices with my daughter around how we're going to move forward if we're going to move forward what that looks like to move forward what my boundaries are going to be when we come back together and I do say when I do say when because I know that she will figure out whatever it is that she needs to figure out and when we come back together we need to have some hard conversations about what it's going to look like moving forward because I have perpetuated my mom's pattern of allowing things to happen I throw a fit about it and say no more of this and then I come back and go okay we're just gonna sweep it under the rug because it's easier for them to deal with if I don't hold on to these boundaries so I get mad at you because I let you treat me a certain way and this is in a lot of places in my life mm -hmm. and I'm gonna say this big the biggest piece for me of changing and setting these boundaries has been learning to love myself mm -hmm. and though this is the biggest challenge that we all face one of the things that has helped me reprogram my subconscious is sleep meditations around loving myself mm -hmm. I suddenly started making choices that would make my life better because I saw value in myself 
because I see value in myself. And as much as somebody listening may even be like, well, listen to that conceited bitch. You know what? If that's what you want to call me, then yep. yep. I've always had a piece. And we can talk about, since we're talking about mom anyways, one of the things that we have talked about is the fact, Lynn and I have talked about, is the fact that this, the one thing my mom used to say to me all the time was, you're so conceited and you spend too much time in the mirror and all these things. And it wasn't even in the mirror. I have liked, the God gave me the gift of liking something about myself since I was a little kid a little kid. Maybe it was come, it came out and made it so that I felt good about the way I looked. And again, we're going to get into that side in our next podcast. But for me, it had a lot to do with this, this, I don't, I don't know exactly, but that I liked myself and that I, my sister empowered me to be able to say how I felt. My sister empowered me to, to be able to do, you know, whatever it was that I needed to do to feel good. And I have liked myself. And now as a grown adult doing the work, I like who I am enough that when I walk into a room, I elude confidence, not because of the way I look, but because of the way I feel about myself, because I know I've spent 18 years doing this freaking work on myself and every day, only trying to be better than me. I'm not trying to be better than anybody else. I only want to be better than I was yesterday. And I will tell you, I'm awesome at failing as well. I try to fail forward. I will say that. Failing forward is probably the best way to fail because at least you've learned something from your failure. And for me, that's been major. But this sleep meditation, which really I have to, again, my sister inspired it when I went to Costa Rica and spent two weeks with her. She climbed in bed one night and was like, whether you like it or not, this is what I listened to. And I was like, all right, I'm down. And I came home and I'm on, I think today is a day 121 since I was there that I have been listening to sleep meditations. I have, I'm have i on day 121 of committing to myself is what it is. And it's a one-year commitment to myself that may continue. And I we both have talked about some of the changes that I've made that neither of us expected. And a lot of them I contribute to that sleep meditation about loving myself. Have you noticed any changes in yourself listening to that specific sleep meditation? Well, I, I don't, this isn't like new though you know I discovered one by Louise Hay um, and it says basically like do this for 30 days and it'll change your life and it was 2015 (laughs) that I did that and I remember I was living in the townhouse in Chilliwack and um, it had come to my awareness that you know when we go to bed at night that's often the only time that we are quiet and with ourselves to have the opportunity to relax before we fall asleep well most people are so full of white noise that they that's when anxieties start to come up because the the part of you that hasn't been heard all day is like <gasps> okay you're finally listening I can't believe you said this today and oh my god you went and did that you spent way too much money I can't believe you did that and oh my god did you hear what they said I think they hate me like it's the time that we allow ourselves to be heard but because we speak a different language than us like our own bodies what we take as like anxiety is actually just like a, a discharge from the nervous system instead of letting it out, we'll keep it in there, put on some Netflix, do, you know, put on something loud, something. So we didn't, so there's a whole bunch we can talk about because there's an idea of like, not, not watching Netflix right before you go to bed, but allowing that space and time to hear what that 
voice inside you wants to say so you can start to shut up all day yes so you can start to pay attention to like oh when I'm not paying attention this is what's going on inside my head so we go to bed and what we usually do is start to think about not enough I didn't have enough this I don't have enough money like we're stressing about the things that we've thought about all day so now subconscious mind stays awake conscious mind goes to sleep so the subconscious mind for eight to ten to six whatever however long you sleep hours is like not enough it's not enough I didn't do enough I'm a piece of shit oh my god I can't believe that because again back to the nervous system we have the hippocampus which is actually the lens of the amygdala helps us to store our memories based on what our lens is so if we're fearful we're storing our memories filled with fear watch inside out by disney like it's a disney movie inside out it's so good it explains like this in such a great way so now we move while we sleep the memories go from short term to long term so we're storing them And the amygdala is like tainting the memories with whatever our lens is. So that's what we do. So we dream and the subconscious is talking to you and then you wake up in the morning. Now, I want to know what you think when you open your eyes, your alarm goes off and you open your eyes. I didn't get enough sleep. So you're already behind now. You just started started your day day with that. I'm behind already. So switching into these um meditations it's like you're giving direction to your subconscious mind while you're sleeping and you are replacing the amygdala as the memories are downloaded from short to long term you are now storing memories with a self-love lens as opposed to a fearful lens so after some time what does start to happen is you wake up and you're not necessarily thinking about how you didn't get enough sleep you can start to look at like, oh, wow, like for you, oh my gosh, I have my dog here with me. How amazing. You know, she's so beautiful. I'm so glad I have this time with her as opposed to, fuck, I would rather sleep for another two hours or, oh God, I got to do this today. So yes, I do experience shifts, especially when I go without them for some time. I've been employing this for like, shit, that's like nine years. Uh, you said 17, 15, 2015. So 2015 is, yeah. So that's eight years ago. Yeah. So I only just started the sleep meditations. Um, meditation is often one of the things that we, you know, everybody recommends, but we don't find time for. Yeah. Um, meditation for me has become, and it's, it's become like, you can meditate while you walk. You can meditate while you're doing other things. You can meditate while you're having negative thoughts by thinking like for me, one of these coaches that I follow literally said something that is stuck in my head. And she said, I find I fall behind more when I listen to myself more than I talk to myself. So for me, these night meditations, and especially because these sleep meditations actually start to guide you into sleep first, and then they do affirmations and repeat things after they've guided you into meditation. So not only do I now feel like I'm actually accomplishing my meditation, but I am speaking to myself more than I'm listening because I'm also hearing that happening overnight. And it's changed a lot of things. After about three weeks of listening to one of the love yourself meditations, all of a sudden I started asking myself questions like, like, well, I could, what could I do right now? I could either go do this 
or I could do this. And normally I'd be like, I'll go do this and then I'll go do this. But one day I woke up and it was like, okay, I can, I can't remember what the option was. It was go do this or I can, and then I can go start walking on the treadmill or the stepper or whatever it was for the gym. And I was like, which is going to get me further in life. I'm going to skip this and just go straight to that because I have 10 extra minutes. I know it's only 10 minutes, but now I have 10 extra minutes. And when you're already starting your day, feeling like you're behind that 10 minutes matters. And so it was like a subconscious shift where I all of a sudden was just like, okay, I'm going to start doing these things instead. And now I see that as a perpetual thing. I'm often making that choice of what's going to get me further ahead than what's going to put me behind. Yes, we have that extra 10 minutes, but why put myself behind when I could be bringing myself forward? Yeah. Just to do stuff. Yeah. 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 So it's been really interesting to see this part of it become such a real part of like who we are. Mm -hmm. And it's been one of the easiest um, reprogramming shifts that I've, I've used so far. So I definitely encourage people that are following us to try these sleep meditations because this is not a, um, I had somebody who said to me, no, I'm going to do the work myself. And I was like, have you noticed how that's going for you? (laughs) Good job. Because guess what? I said I was going to do the meditations and guess who did not do them. And then now I can tell you that I have missed one day And it was at the very beginning and I ended up watching TV before I went to sleep instead of listening to the thing. And I passed out listening, watching the TV. Um, And that was the only day that I've missed of these meditations of the 121 days. And it is changing who I am. So now there's not even a question. I just go to bed and turn on the meditation. Mm -hmm. And it's not a cheat. It's not an easy way out because this entire life is hard. Take the easy way out if it's going to benefit you in the long run. I also want to just point out that you said that the meditation is changing who you are. And I say this when people say, oh, I found yoga and yoga saved my life. I'm like, yeah, but if yoga saved one's life, then we would have world Everybody. peace. Yep. So you have to go to yoga. You still have to press play. So you are changing your life by listening to these meditations. And it's making me make the choices. To <laughs> there it is again. Life. It's making me. No, I'm making you the choices are. by doing these things. Yes. They're helping me to continue to make the choices to change who I am, to, to love myself. And I have to say that this part of loving myself is probably my favorite part of this journey so far. I think this is perfect. So I think that this is going to be where we came from mom edition. And next week we're going to do where we came from dad edition. So Agreed. thank you everyone for listening and, and joining us to, on this lovely journey. Yeah. Talking to you next week. Thank you for joining us on this spirited journey today. We hope you enjoyed diving into the world of self-improvement with us. Two sisters who found their own unique paths. Remember, life is a tapestry of experiences and it's how we embrace them that makes all the difference. So whether you're on your yoga mat, exploring mindfulness, or simply navigating life's twists and turns, always keep that spirit and sass alive. We are Kalin and Meredith Lockoff and we're here to remind you that happiness and abundance are within reach. Stay connected with us on social media and keep those questions and stories coming. We love hearing from you. Until next time, beautiful souls, keep doing the work, keep sharing your experiences and keep living a life that's authentically you. And never forget to add a little extra sass to your day. Spirit and sass. 
always.